Hello and welcome. My name is Sergeant First Class Aaron McKevers, and I'm the Equal Opportunity Advisor for 2nd Brigade 1st Armored Division. And this is Episode 3 of the Strike Brigade Podcast. Before we begin this week's episode, I want to take a moment and thank every one of my listeners and those who have reached out and provided feedback. I feel like we're just getting started with creating content for this channel, and I cannot emphasize enough how, it, how much I appreciate the fact that you all are willing to give me your time once a week to listen to this podcast. It's my sincerest hope that you find the content that I create and others collaborate with me on, that you find it engaging, insightful, useful, hopefully not boring. Uh, I hope I make learning or thinking about ideas and topics in a new or different way. I hope I make it fun. Uh, but as I'm recording this over the Thanksgiving holiday weekend, I really felt it was appropriate that I acknowledge and thank the listeners that I have so far and the ones to come uh, because it's, an, it's important for me to have people willing to tune in and listen. Otherwise, uh, there's no value in me just recording this and, and posting it. So without the listeners, uh, without my teammates, without the people here at 2nd Brigade Team Bliss, I just want to let you all know I am so, so, so grateful. Uh, and with that, let's keep it going and let's dive into this week's discussion. So the topic I want to take on or discuss this week is one of toxic leadership. Now, for those of us that, that have served, uh, as long as we've served, I think it's going to be a highly relatable one. I think, and I, I'll again, I'll reassert what I stated in episode one. I think for the most part, we are staffed with amazing leaders at every echelon. Uh, young NCOs, commissioned officers, warrant officers, uh, soldiers serving in, lead in positions of greater responsibility, serving as leaders. I think, for the most part, all of us are doing the right thing, and I'm very proud of that. But I think it's it's important that we continue to have these discussions and we continue to seek improvement wherever we can. And I still, as as serving as an equal opportunity advisor, it's still a measurement on the command climate surveys. I still read all the comments. There are still discussions that I have, I hear, that are shared with me where there are certain individuals that aren't doing the right thing. And we need to probably get all these behaviors out in the open, discuss what's appropriate, what's inappropriate, and, and what we need to get better at. Um, I do, before I get into it, I want to go on the record that it's unlikely that a complete and final discussion on toxic or maladaptive leadership, as I refer to it sometimes, in the course of one episode, it's probably, it's not going to happen. And this is a topic we will likely return to from time to time as we refine our understanding and perhaps come up with new strategies or new interventions to correct for toxic leadership at, at every level. So think of today's episode as the beginning of this conversation. Now, I first heard or encountered the term toxic leader or toxic leadership with any degree of frequency probably around 2006. And for those of us who weren't serving around that time, our operational tempo provided some ideal conditions for toxic leaders to thrive in our organizations. As I recall it, back in those days in the middle of the global war on terror, it wasn't uncommon to have discussions about leader behaviors that tended to be perceived as abusive or undesirable. Uh, certainly behaviors that are inconsistent with our organization organization's values and not aligned with treating our personnel with dignity and respect. And we would have these discussions, we'd hit, I'd, hear, I'd be a part of these conversations, and a common refrain or reply that I would hear to these discussions about concerns about leader behaviors 
would be, yes, but this person is an amazing leader in combat. And that usually brought that discussion to a close. And that's how it went in those days. And as I recall, a lot of, as I recall, personal recollection, a lot of undesirable leader behavior and sometimes soldier behavior, it seemed to be underwritten for people who had proven themselves capable on combat deployments. And it, it struck me as odd. And it seemed odd because it was, I don't feel it was a trade-off that we necessarily had to make. But looking back, perhaps we didn't have the time and the space to have these type of discussions. As for some people, uh, it wasn't uncommon to have 24 months deployed in a span of 36 months. But so we're having this, we're, we're going to discuss why we're talking about toxic leaders. And I don't think I need to cite a study or an article in a scholarly journal to make my case as to why we need to have an honest discussion about toxic leaders and organizations. I think we all just kind of intuitively know or feel strongly that who we have as supervisors or leaders at every echelon can really make or break our job satisfaction and it impacts our career and decisions we make about our careers. In fact, a 2009 U.S. Army War College study uh, survey with 100, had 102 out of the 167 respondents, 61%, they answered affirmatively that they had seriously considered leaving their service or agency because of the way they were treated by a supervisor. And that stri that's a striking statistic for me because that is senior leaders at the top of the hierarchy or food chain that are responding that affirmatively, that affirmatively to that question. Now, imagine what those results would be if they'd sampled the bottom of the rank structure. And I'll share with you a, a personal act, anecdote that I think is relevant here. Uh, back in 2008, I was serving as the gunner on the company commander's tank crew, and we were about to deploy to Iraq. And one day, the first sergeant and the commander, they called me into the office. They said, we just got eight new soldiers coming in. And again, if you served back in, in, in that time frame, you remember what it was like. You might be six weeks, eight weeks out from deployment, and you would just get plussed up with uh, numbers. And I think we got in eight to 12 new soldiers that day. They were coming in, and I was told to link up with them as the commander's gunner and start their onboarding process. And I was also told that I could have the pick of the litter for the command group tracks. So I was basically told to uh, kick the tires on these brand new tankers. And of the eight, eight or 12 or so, I selected two for the headquarters section. And one of them was gonna be the loader on my tank. He stood out initially, physically fit, intelligent, motivated. When I asked him what his career plans were the first time we met, he said, without a doubt, he would definitely be a career soldier. Uh, he he was he was committed to the army. He was committed to our mission. He was committed to being a tanker. He 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 had a high degree of pride in service, and he was a fine soldier. And over the course of our time together, it became clear to both of us that while he enjoyed being a tanker and he was an extremely capable one, he was looking for something that was a little more cognitively challenging. And he ultimately reenlist reenlisted with an option of reclass. He chose an MOS in the MI branch, military intelligence, and I think he was geospatial engineer. And he seemed to thrive in that environment initially, but ultimately it didn't last. I kept in touch with him, and what he shared with me was a pretty clear pattern of petty and abusive behaviors by his leadership that 
rapidly altered the trajectory of his career. His motivation levels dropped off and, and his organizational citizenship behaviors, you know, he went from a high-performing soldier with career intentions to concluding his service very rapidly and separating largely as a result of the treatment he received by his leadership. Now, in the interest of fairness, I did only get one side of that story and there absolutely could be some details left out, but I don't think my former soldier's case is, is that much of an outlier. And even if it doesn't result in a soldier altering our, our, or terminating their career plans, harmful or toxic leadership behaviors, they correlate to negative and toxic follower behaviors as well. A 2013 study of soldiers in Iraq found that abusive supervision led to a decline in moral courage and a decrease in identification with the organization's core values. A further, a civilian study in 2009, they conducted a study of incivility in the workplace. And this is where toxic leadership and how we treat people really, whether we realize it or not, it impacts the outputs of our soldiers and our subordinates. How you treat them is absolutely going to dictate how they perform at work. And this study, I think, showed this pretty, pretty clearly. Uh, but a 2009 study of incivility in the workplace indicated that 48% decreased their work effort, 47% decreased their time at work, 38% decreased work quality, 66% said their performance declined, and 63% lost time avoiding the offender of the incivil behavior, and ultimately 78% said their commitment to the organization declined as a result of the behaviors they were subjected to. So what exactly is a toxic leader? And before I answer that question, I, I want to state my belief that sometimes I feel that individuals seem to conflate demanding leaders with toxicity or toxic leadership. And I think it's important that we make the distinction that the label of toxic leadership doesn't get applied broadly to all the leader behaviors we don't like. By virtue of what we do, there are going to be times when standards must be upheld. People must be held accountable. And I think there's a tendency to categorize demanding leaders as toxic. And I say this because part of my job is to listen to the concerns and complaints of soldiers and fellow leaders. And it, it doesn't happen with high frequency, but I have spoken with soldiers and leaders who felt like they were being treated improperly. But during our discussion, it usually follows or followed that they would discover for themselves that they weren't necessarily being treated poorly or improperly, but were being held to a standard. And oftentimes it was the consequences of their own behaviors or actions. And while that doesn't feel good sometimes or mesh well with our own sense of identity or ego, and we have a tendency to divest ourselves of that unpleasant feeling in any way we can. And one of the ways we do is we tend to make errors of attribution in order to make ourselves feel better. We'll tell ourselves, I don't deserve this treatment. Such and such is a toxic leader. When to uh, an objective observer, it, it might completely be warranted. And I do think there's potential for some leaders that are high performing, high are ones that set high standards, hold their individuals accountable. Sometimes they can unfairly get that toxic leader label. And I, I want to caution against that. Okay, I don't want people in the organizations I serve with, I don't want them to fall victim to the mindset of every leader I don't like is toxic. Some demand excellence of those who sometimes don't want to be excellent, and that can lead to some friction. 
Okay, so with that disclaimer, uh, let's go on to the definition. So ADP 6-22, Army Leadership, it defines toxic leadership as a combination of self-centered attitudes, motivations, behaviors that have adverse effects on subordinates, the organization, and mission performance. Okay, the leader lacks concern for others and the climate of the organization, which leads to short and long-term negative effects. Toxic leaders operate with an inflated sense of self-worth and from acute self-interest. Toxic leaders consistently use dysfunctional, dysfunctional behaviors to deceive, intimidate, coerce, or unfairly punish others to get what they want for themselves. Okay, the, the negative leader can complete short-term requirements by operating at the bottom of the continuum of commitment. Okay, I can get in, I can get more into that one later. That's a that's a big term and I like it. Okay, but they're operating at the bottom of that continuum of commitment. They're not getting commitment. They're getting compliance because the followers are responding to positional power of the leaders to fulfill the request. Um, this this does get results in the short term, but it ignores other leader competence the other leader competencies of leads and develops. But basically what that was saying where we're getting compliance responses instead of commitment responses, it just basically sum it up. Soldiers are just, you know, people are doing what they want, what the toxic leader wants them to do because they don't want to get yelled at. They don't want to deal with the consequences of an upset leader. Um, they're not committed to the organization. They're just being compliant. And again, that's a whole other topic of discussion that I have planned on the distinction between the two. Um, I'll also throw in the Office of Personnel Analytics. They describe toxic leadership, and I like this one. This is a little more succinct, but it describes toxic leadership behaviors as disregard for subordinate input, defiance of logic, or predictability, and self-promoting tendencies. And then there's one other uh, professor and author, Jean Littman Blumen. She defines toxic leaders just as individuals who, by dint of their destructive behaviors and dysfunctional personnel personal qualities generate serious and enduring poisonous effects for the organizations. So now that we have clear definitions for what constitutes toxic leadership and we have evidence of the harm that they do. And again, it's, it's incomplete. It's not conclusive. This is not a fully exhaustive, comprehensive discussion. There are, there are more, there is, there is more to be said about who they are, what they do and the harm they cause. But uh, I want to get into how, after we've made, and we're talking years, we've made considerable intellectual and financial investments, both in the army, uh, in the military, and in the corporate sector. Um, it is a uh, it is a million dollar business conducting training to correct for toxic toxicity and leadership. But how can we still have this problem? And I think it's a, it's a multi causal problem. I don't think there's a simple answer. Although I'm going to try and make this answer as simple as possible, but it. To really get to the bottom of root cause analysis, it, it, there's a multivariate analysis that has to be conducted to conclusively answer that question. But I'm going to provide the first answer. Answer Of all the attributes in the Army Leader Doctrine, um, there is one that toxic leaders excel at, and that is getting results, at least in the short term. Okay, If we were to bar chart all the attributes that a toxic leader is, uh, you know, how they're performing at getting results for all the attributes achieves would be near the top while they would score very low on interpersonal tact, creating a uh, positive environment, developing others, building trust and other vital attributes, they would probably near, be near the bottom. So getting results is generally something toxic leaders excel at. And this is where we start to get into issues of our own culture 
and how we can incentivize that kind of behavior or reinforce that behavior and allow these toxic leaders to, to thrive. Because I feel like culturally, we may plan 12 to 24 months ahead, sure. But if we're being honest with ourselves, we really operate on a 24-hour treadmill of what must get done now. And the leaders that get these things done right now and get results, they get those color codes on our task trackers changed to green. Those are the leaders who tend to benefit from employing the behaviors that, that would or could be considered toxic. And of course, it isn't just toxic leaders. I'm not implying that only toxic leaders get short-term results. Good leaders do as well. But it's just that toxic leaders oftentimes obtain these short-term results at the expense of everything else to include long-term growth and development of those that they lead. Now, I'll share another story with you, another personal story. Uh, years ago, before I became an Equal Opportunity Advisor, I tried to approach one of my fellow senior leaders about one of his subordinates who, based on what I knew of the situation, was <clears throat> missing the mark when it came to leader attributes and co competencies, as it was relayed to me. And what I was told of the situation is that the leader was extremely passive when it came to problem solving. When soldiers asked questions or wanted to develop their MOS-related skills, they would routinely get told, go read the manual. Okay, This leader also played favorites. He had an inner, inner circle that was inconsistent with, with guidance and enforcement of standards. Uh, in addition to having an inner circle where only two or three were allowed in, um, he was inconsistent with his guidance and enforcement of standards is what I meant to say. And he had a huge look at me, look what I can do type of attitude and personality. So with my understanding of this situation, I met with a peer of mine and I, I tried to intervene on behalf of the soldiers. And all the concerns I had, they were, they were immediately refuted. And what I, I was told that what had been shared with me could not be accurate. I was told that what had been shared with me was completely inconsistent with how his leadership viewed him. I was told he was the best. He got things done. He got results. And in, in the sense of fairness, I do recall being at a battalion formation a few weeks prior, and this individual was uh, receiving recognition for earning distinguished honors at the Advanced Leaders course. But here's the thing. Here's what bothered me about how I ended with that conversation, where I was pretty much shut out uh, by, by my fellow senior leader, and the discussion was ultimately unproductive. But here's the thing. Both viewpoints or arguments for and against this NCO were accurate, okay? But we know it's, or well, maybe we don't, but I, I think it's, it's obvious which opinion mattered the most. And it wasn't that of the subordinates of the soldier. It was the, it was the, the viewpoints and the perception of his leadership that's ultimately gonna, gonna hold sway. And, and this fundamentally is our problem with toxic leadership. That perception that matters is that of the higher ups. It's the Raider. The Raider's opinion, I, I feel, tends to trump, okay? And that toxic leader can continue to advance his or her career when we can really only speculate how many careers they may end in the process, but they do continue on sometimes. And I'll take this time to point out that I think we're doing well, and very well, at holding some of the most severe offenders accountable. Okay, when the line clearly gets crossed, as we serve in our organizations now, as we put people first, okay, as we treat our, our, our teammates with dignity and respect, we're, we're holding people accountable. But, it's, but my concerns are, what about that mid-grade 
well-contained toxic leader. The one who doesn't push to the far end of the spectrum, but is it about the halfway point where maybe within the confines of their squad or platoon or section that the consensus may be that things aren't ideal, but outside and above, they may think that this leader is crushing it. And I think that's where our problem resides. That's where the work is. The toxic leader who can camouflage his or her behaviors is where, where most of the work resides. It's that under the radar toxic leader the one emitting that low-level radiation. That's the one we need. Those are the ones that we need to, to be most concerned about and correct for. Okay, now, again, oversimplifying here, there, there are uh, tremendous, there's, I don't have enough time to have a discussion about all the likely behaviors that toxic leaders exhibit. But I do want to, I want to talk about three things that I feel like they do consistently that are detrimental to the cohesion and effectiveness of the unit while simultaneously turning those colors on the task trackers from red to green. Um, but I feel like they're largely inconsistent and primarily two domains, uh, communication and in the application and enforcement of standards. With communication, toxic leaders, they fail to provide real-time actionable feedback. Now the feedback could be given consistently or sometimes it comes in an avalanche where perhaps a leader has a month of things stored up that they drop on you or the soldier all at one time because of reasons. But the truth of the matter is, soldiers and employees, they deserve a responsive environment where shortcomings or issues are addressed appropriately and as they occur when at all possible. Meaning, we address behaviors and we don't attack the person. And we do it as soon as the situation allows because that's the best time to learn when the memory is fresh, okay? But toxic leaders have a tendency to attack people instead of addressing the behaviors. Instead of listing specific things a soldier needs to improve on to help themselves and their teammates, uh, for instance, PT, weapons pr proficiency, etc., they may tend to just sum up and generalize and say, you suck, or you're weak, or you're the worst one, and you're the worst one on the team, you're holding us down. Okay, and I mean, that could be a true statement, but it isn't, it isn't a productive way to address the problem. I'm not saying lie, if somebody is at the, uh, the bottom percentile in terms of performance, you don't have to sugarcoat it, but at the same time, you don't have to hit them over the head with a hammer uh, emotionally, mental, mentally, cognitively. I think when you attempt to correct these individuals, be very clear about the behaviors that they are exhibiting that you want changed. Do not make it about their character. As, as, as tempting as it is, and as a leader, I've failed multiple times on that because it's just easy. It's just easier to say, you this happened because you're a bad person or you're a bad soldier. When what we need to do is exhibit a little bit of tactical patience and try and choose our words carefully and try and make sure we're addressing those behaviors. Um, so that's, that's the, con the communication, I think, inconsistencies or inefficiencies. Now, with the application of enforcement of standards, this inconsistency is especially problematic because they tend to hold certain people accountable, but not their favorites, not their inner circles or themselves. Uh, and I think another thing is they may pick and choose which, which policies, which rules, which regulations. And this, this again, and I, I mentioned this in the last episode, uh, this takes away from an ele any element of fairness in an organization, which also is, is going to prohibit cohesion, um, which is going to leave us at risk for more of these problematic behaviors. Uh, another thing they do consistently is they establish an inner circle or clique 
which brings about an in-group and out-group dynamic, which is going to be largely detrimental to the performance of the team. Okay, What this inner circle can do is they tend to serve as an echo chamber that reinforces the leader's belief in self that he or she's not toxic, but actually an effective leader. Okay, um, Think small cheering section. These dynamic, this dynamic, it, it benefits members of the inner circle because everybody in it, because the leader gets reinforced and incentivized, um, and the group members that are part of it, they get benefits of access that the outgroup members don't get, and they're generally spared from the most unpleasant behaviors that the leader may exhibit. Okay, however, those outside the circle, they get none of those benefits, and they're usually ill infor- ill informed, and they receive the harshest of penalties more frequently than those in the in-group. And another thing that I feel that toxic leaders do consistently is, con- and, and I, I feel like this is another key point that I want to make, is they confuse being demeaning with being demanding. Okay, Don't demean others in order to try and convince others that you are a demanding leader with high standards. And I say this because as my own evolution as a leader Early on, one of the worst things a peer could say to me or about me was that I was soft or I was a pushover. And I absolutely remember being hyper vigilant to that accusation. And it definitely influenced my behavior in, in no small degree as a leader early on. Uh, the fear of being viewed as a soft or pushover results in behaviors that serve no other purpose than to reinforce who's at the top of the food chain or hierarchy and who's at the bottom. And those behaviors usually result in belittling, mockery, or humiliation. And it's hard to earn the commitment, if not impossible, to earn the commitment of your subordinates and peers if that's the behavior you routinely exhibit in the workspace. Now, I'm not saying leaders shouldn't be assertive or demanding. Not at all. We operate in a high-stakes profession that, at times, it requires us to set a hard edge. But I will state my firmly held belief that we can be demanding and assertive when necessary without being demeaning. And I, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier. It is, it is the easiest thing. It is the easiest thing to be with soldiers who maybe aren't top performers or who need coaching. It, it's easy to be a jerk who belittles and, and mocks. Okay, That doesn't make you a good leader. It makes you a weak leader. Okay, A good leader refrains from that mocking and belittling because ultimately that behavior only benefits the person doing it. Okay, it reinforces to them that they're at the top and everyone else is beneath them. The leader that our army and our organizations need is one who takes the time to teach, coach, and mentor and not belittle, mock, and humiliate. I'll say again, that, that isn't a, it's not a comprehensive list of all the things toxic leaders routinely do. I'm just sharing what I believe to be the most routine behaviors that I witness or are shared with me. Again, I think putting together a complete list would be a very demanding task. But now I want to transition the discussion to what can be done about it. And up front, my answer would be, it depends. I will tell you what I frequently think is being done about it. And that is nothing. Okay. And again, we're referring to the the under the radar toxic leader. Again, I think we're excelling now um, better than we've ever been about holding offenders accountable. Okay. And I, I intend for that tra- trajectory to continue to rise. But I think when I say we're doing nothing, that again, that's that that's that low that low level, middle of the road, not clearly cross the lines, or maybe it's self-contained, maybe it's camouflaged, um, maybe it's a very well-kept secret. 
But generally, we're doing nothing because conflict with toxic leaders is generally avoided by subordinates or even their peers. Uh, they just deal with it. And I think part of that, again, is weakness in our culture, not necessarily weakness by design, but, but inherent. Because we generally operate on a two to three year personnel cycle where the core of a team, it's only together for a brief period of time before there's substantial turnover. So what conflict resolution method uh, that this often results in is avoidance because it's sometimes it's often a case that either the leader or the subordinates have a limited time left in the organization and some people just feel like the best course of action is just keep your head down and deal with it okay I've had it remarked to me that people are sometimes unwilling to bring problems out because yeah it's just easier just to just to suffer in silence and I don't want to contribute to that culture at all I, I want to correct for that in our culture. And I want to say it's it's not the best course of action. Let's bring it out and let's start having these discussions. Okay. But oftentimes you will just hear, I'm just not even going to say anything. I'm just going to keep pushing. Okay. But ultimately no one benefits from that. Those beneath the leader, they continue to suffer. And the leader doesn't get his or her behaviors corrected. But the biggest obstacle to correcting toxic leaders are that are deeply they're deeply entrenched in our culture. We are taught to respect the rank and the position of the person holding it. Okay, It doesn't require much imagination to envision a scenario where it goes poorly for a subordinate who attempts to have a dialogue with his or her leader about how toxic they are. It'd be like, hey, yeah, boss, uh, can I can we sit down and have a discussion? I think you're pretty toxic, and here's why. Uh, again, that's, that's, not, uh, that's not a hard discussion to envision happening. Um, I think in most cases it's going to be poorly received and most likely the outcome is going to be negative. Okay, You could enlist the support and consensus of your peers uh, when confronting the leader. But again, culturally, this doesn't necessarily sit right with us. Uh, the Band of Brothers scene where the NCO submitted their resignation in protest over Captain Sobel, that, that kind of comes to mind. But what, and this is according to uh, Dr. and retired Colonel George Reed, what is most likely... If, to be effective is feedback from the top down. Okay, so we have to enlist the support of the leader's leader. The toxic leader has a leader and their intervention is the most likely way to bring about positive change. Uh, and they should be direct and candid. They shouldn't say things like, hey, you know, you do a great job and I'm impressed with the, all you accomplish. However, you need to work on your interpersonal skills. That's a specific example provided by Colonel George Reed. Instead, they should pretty much give the unvarnished truth. They should say things such as, your team hates working for you. You are perceived as petty, abusive, and self-promoting. Okay, They should be specific about observed behaviors and report it that it's inconsistent with the underlying, underlying values of our organization and, and demand change while offering support. And ultimately, it's up to leaders at all levels to shape the culture of our organization so that we send a clear message to all current and future leaders that we're not going to tolerate tolerate the abuse, mockery, or humiliation of the most valuable resources we have, or resource we have, and that is our nation's sons and daughters. Okay, and that is a shared collective effort. And I'm talking peer, the peer cohort, uh, leaders at all echelon. Uh, we have to consistently reinforce that message that that uh, you don't have to be demeaning to be a demanding leader, okay? And demeaning doesn't mean that you're necessarily a capable or competent leader any more than, than one that isn't. Um, 
being a demanding leader means just that. You don't have to demean the, the, the individuals and, and exhibit those toxic behaviors because I think it's pretty clear that those behaviors are largely counterproductive and they make our organizations less effective at what we do. Okay, so with that, I'm going to conclude this discussion for now. I am slightly over my time target, but again, thank you so much for listening. I hope you found this episode worth your time, and if you did, please like and share it. If you have feedback on this episode or other episodes and you would like to send it my way, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, all under my name. Just be advised. There is an Aaron McEvers who's a jazz musician from Chicago, so make sure you choose the right one because if you send a message about uh, toxic leadership to that Aaron McEvers, you may not understand uh, the context. But with that, stay safe, take care of yourself and each other, and we will see you all next time.